Airing from the No Sponsorship Studios, this is Buddy Walk with Jesus, where real life and the kingdom of God connect. Now, your hosts, Joe and Edgar. Father God, I thank you for today and all that you do. Father, you're amazing. And I just pray now that we would be able to enter in, Father, but that we would also bring you blessings instead of coming to see what blessings you have, Father. Your very nature is a blessing to us, and the things you show and reveal to us are blessings that help us, Father. But we'd love to bless your name, Father. If we're able to do that somehow, allow us to. We thank you for who you are and the ability that you've given us to love you back. We thank you for your goodness, your kindness, your mercies, which are new every day, Father. We don't have to get hung up in the mistakes, but look towards the reward of pleasing you. I thank you for that. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, guys, what is up? Welcome back to Buddy Walk with Jesus. As always, as we get started, we want you guys to know two very important things that you are prayed for and that you are loved deeply. Quick reminder for all the links for all the things, you can check us out, buddywalkwithjesus.com. You can also find us on Facebook. Uh, Do not hesitate to reach out to either place. If you have a topic that you want us to unpack, maybe a verse, concept, that kind of thing. Um, One last thing, if you are in need of prayer, do not hesitate to reach out. Prayer at BuddyWalkWithJesus.com I was reflecting this week on a couple of verses that came out of Revelations 12. And they're considered, you know, tribulation verses. And I I kind of was reflecting on, I want to say one in particular, but it kind of needs another one the preceding one to kind of give it context and then it kind of needs more verses to give it context so i'm i'm going to be reading specifically for revelations 10 uh excuse me 12 11 and 12 are the ones that i want to go with uh but i'm going to start off at seven then there was a war in heaven Michael and his angels fought against the dragon and his angels. And the dragon lost the battle, and he and his angels were forced out of heaven. This great dragon, the ancient serpent called the devil, or Satan, the one deceiving the whole world, was thrown down to the earth with all his angels. Then I heard a loud voice shouting across the heavens, It has come at last, salvation and power and the the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ. For the accuser of our brothers and sisters has been thrown down to earth, the one who accuses them before our God day and night. And they have defeated him by the blood of the lamb and by their testimony And they did not love their lives so much that they were afraid to die. Therefore rejoice, O heavens, and you who live in the heavens rejoice. But the terror will come on the earth and the sea, for the devil has come down to you in great anger, knowing that he has little time. 
So what I found interesting in my time of reflection, and by the way, this is going to be one of those where, oh, um, it's not in the context of what's being told, but rather a reflection. Um, and I really was reflecting on the three things that were, I want to say, center stage of what was going on. And that they defeated him by the blood of the lamb and by their testimony and that they did not love their lives unto death as the king james puts it so i had been thinking about that and seeing how and i was having my time how and talking with the lord and how do i fit in with those three qualities i'm going to call them qualities um that may not be the best verbiage, but, you know, taking into account it, the Bible says it's good for a man to take inventory, to take account of his life, of what he's doing, kind of gauge where he's at, if you will. So for a person to do this in authentic review, meaning without an agenda, but just kind of to take like, I think they call it a gut check or... It's not quite a reality check because it has a different flavor to it, but kind of seeing where you are, taking a pulse, if you will. So when I was thinking about, you know, the first quality by the blood of the lamb, that's strictly God's work, what he's done, what he's achieved. And it does have a relationship with me. You know, how do I respond to that? You know, how do I connect with that? So the blood of the lamb is spilled for a reason and it's spilled to cover sin and when it's covering sin it actually allows us to stand in righteousness before god with god and to be in his presence it's our sins are taken away that's how powerful what the lord did is his his blood takes away our sins and it's not like the animal sacrifices that covered sin for a temporary period of time, a year. But it was actually once and done, as we've talked about before. So what does that mean to me, Edgar? What does that mean to... Well, you know, Joe, let me ask you, what does the the blood of the lamb mean to you and mind you you could go off on a different topic than what i was saying or a different tangent but out of curiosity because a lot of times i think we as christians maybe we don't think enough about the blood of the lamb other than that time when we're flipping through a memory book and saying all that you know i got saved by the blood of jesus and everything but really when you reflect on it joe what comes to mind uh, when you think about the blood of the lamb in, uh, in shorthand, I would have to say something like hope. But it's interesting. Sometimes we see this depiction of almost like uh, Satan and God in an arm wrestling match sort of thing. Actually, I do think somebody created a picture out of that. But this whole idea of there being um, an equity of power between God and Satan when in actuality we know the whole time he knows the whole time he's lost this is not a matter of can i win it's more a matter of how much damage can i do 
before the end. Looking at this, regardless of where you stand on the particular end time stuff, this is something that echoes so much further than that into present day. Because it's a reminder that it's not like we're gonna either, you know, come back or we're gonna be here and we're all gonna get our mighty swords from God and we're all gonna go off into battle sort of thing. No, no. The price for all of this was already paid. And it's the one out that we have from the kingdom of darkness, right? We have this struggle here because we are born of ourselves and then we can only overcome the kingdom of darkness by way of Jesus. And so that's something that for those of us that regardless of how far down the cosmic timeline we are, right here, right now, as we sit, as we ponder these things, all of that, that is something, that is a hope that we can carry with us right here, right now. Because we all have our struggles, we all have our problems, we all have our fights. We all have the things that we have to go through on a daily basis here on this earth. And that is blessed assurance that we can take with us through whatever it is. Be it the end of the world or what seems like the end of the world right now because your your world's turning upside down. And this goes towards the earlier portion that you were talking about. And as it was coming up and that famous picture where the devil and Jesus are arm wrestling. First of all, anybody who has a modicum of theology knows that that's not even going to happen. Right. Um, yeah. Because Satan cannot stand against Jesus. And I don't, I would picture him differently. That, that Satan in that picture is how he portrays himself to us. But in reality, he's more of a conniving, sniveling, uh, grim worm tongue from <laughs> the Lord of the Rings. Um, and there's a there was a a verse that really speaks to the immensity of the Lord's power, and it has to do when he returns and he deals with the Antichrist. So that, as some translations call him, the man of lawlessness. And I'm going to read that from Second Thessalonians 2.8 because you touched on it and it really came, it was a vivid picture in my mind. It's uh, It says that the man of lawlessness will be revealed, but the Lord Jesus will slay him with the breath of his mouth and destroy him by the splendor of his coming. So it's almost like Jesus blows him out like a candle. It's just a and he's gone. And just to, the splendor of Jesus' return is enough to undo the Antichrist. And you got to realize this is probably the the prime evil figure during this this moment in time, this future moment. And I'm going to use the word of history. Uh, so we find that Jesus has this insurmountable power that just his very presence can undo the man of lawlessness. That the little puff of his mouth now some translations will say by the fire of his mouth and 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 things like that but it is just actually almost like the speaking he's undone the breath and you know and we know from the beginning of scripture in genesis that the lord breathed into man so it's the same breath 
that undoes the man of lawlessness. So I find that quite poetic and interesting. And then there's another part that comes out, and I'm trying to hold it because it, it's almost escaping me. But that the whole concept of how the Lord is his very presence. And this is where people say, you know, sin cannot be in his presence. And we talked about that at the beginning of the episode. Um, sin is is undone before the Lord. It, it cannot be in his presence. That's what I'm trying to say. It doesn't have a permanency be, before him. There's the wages of sin is death. Sin has no place before God. And this is important why, why God's people must always be repentant of things that we do. And, you know, with humility and really seeking the Lord for um, forgiveness on things. And this, is, this can go from murder to unforgiveness. Uh, it's the whole gamut. Uh, we don't want that in the Lord's presence. And this is why a person who relies on his own goodness will never be able to be in heaven because that sin cannot be there. And he's, this person is embodied sin. He kept his sin with him. He didn't have it purged out by the blood. So the person himself, and, and people have, other people have said this, is that if... Um, if and we're, we're taking what's um, a hypothetical or an imaginary situation, if a person with sin were to be in the presence of a holy God and the loving God, that person himself will look to hide. And we see this in Revelations, where they, the the people who are whose minds are seared, who are not repenting, are calling for the mountains to fall down upon us. Boom. You know, hide us from him. Boom. You know, kind of this kind of thing. We we can't be in his presence. We fear it, but we still hold on to our sin. That's the same thing that's going on. So there's some scriptural precedence for that, that mindset. We would not want to be in his presence. And, and we see this day to day. Like if we're in the presence of someone who we feel is like really a good person, we become self-conscious, you know, like you'll see this in a person who who went to a place like a wedding and they were dressed in casual clothes, you know, and they feel uncomfortable because they they're out of place and they don't. But this is even more pronounced than that. So the blood of the lamb is very powerful. It has the ability to wipe out our sin nature, completely gone. And that is through relationship. You know, this is not something that you can five and dime. And by that, I mean, say, oh, yeah, I'd like that. Oh, cool. Yeah, I got it. Yeah, so now I can do whatever I want and everything. God forgives me and it's covered by the blood. Well, that's not a relationship with the God of universe. That's not taking into account what's going on. I'm not talking about work. So I'm saying that you come into agreement, that you come into understanding, that you come into realize that this is changing you. If you meet the Lord and are, are unchanged, then you have not met the Lord. And we see this in the Gospels of people who have met the Lord and haven't been changed by his presence. I think immediately of Herod um, when Jesus was brought before him. 
He questioned him. He wanted to find out about him. Jesus stayed silent. Now, mind you, he's he's all covered in scars and everything. And he knows that this is the powerful man that he heard spoken of. And he's in his very presence, but he doesn't get it. He does not get who's before him. And this is probably, I want to say, you know, within hours. And it's probably going to be like 12 hours or so before he's dead, sacrificed for humanity. This is a very powerful time that's going on because what we see is the whole salvation story is unfolding and rather very quickly. Um, what what can we think on that takes that away? Why why would that not have power for us? It's probably because we're not intimate with the the thought of it. If you saw a person covered in blood, what would that do to your mindset, your psyche? You know, would you be concerned? Would you be freaked out? Would you be like grossed out or, you know, what kind of, you know, imagine that kind of powerful image that blood has. And then that your savior was scarred and bleeding from all these wounds. But that very blood that has oozed from those scars, those openings are meant to wash away your sins before the God of the universe. What does that do for you? So to me, that tells me there's some kind of connection, some kind of thing going on here where the presence of the blood is not this kind of um, intrinsic kind of thought or something, but it's a powerful connection. The blood of the lamb gives me standing before God, gives me authority gives me redemption so this this is this i want to say this gateway that opens up because of the blood of the lamb this in this unfolding maybe a better word this kind of we are able to enter into the things of god because of that blood we are able to connect with him this is stuff that the old testament saints didn't have access to and it's an amazing thing and we can treat it too trite and not think about it. And this is not being glib. This is just saying that sometimes we don't um, reverence what that is or that connection. It is actually something that, according to the scripture, allows us to defeat Satan. Well, where where would we defeat him? In the everyday lives might be a situation. Um I know that there was one woman, and this is a testimony that I personally heard from the woman who said it, that um, she was not a Christian when she met um, her future husband. And he, he kind of felt the Lord was saying, this is your wife. And he's like, no, she, she does drugs. She's, you know, she's, uh, she's, she's Mary of the Bible. And I don't know for sure if that means the adultery part, because I don't think that was mentioned. And I was only like 13 or so when she was telling her testimony. So I don't think she would have shared that part. But um, and she was telling it to 
us young people her story and everything and he was saying to her he, he was breaking up with her because he didn't want to have a relationship with her a marriage relationship or get married to her because he didn't find her to be uh, a christian woman holy and everything and he was doing this breakup speech with her and then at one point she just says to him and she has she says she had this image of the lord just sacrificed for her and she says but the lord died for me and he did not expect that um but you probably know by the way i'm telling a story is that this woman was the wife of this man so the lord worked it all out but she was given she had become in tuned because the lord had showed his sacrifice his physical sacrifice to her and a lot of times you know we can think of it as almost like a fable jesus died for you on the cross and he shed his blood and now you can walk with god and it's got this kind of like fairy tale kind of telling uh, where we don't really get into what that means or the coloring of what it means so i always find it interesting i don't know joe if you've ever have you ever had a situation where you've reflected on what um the sacrifice and i'm not just you know talking the same question that i gave to you before but this the sacrifice the lord did for you personally what was that like for you i'm taken back to when i first had my come to jesus moment and and realized exactly what the gospel was all about and i had heard i had heard the gospel story uh many many times under the tutelage of some of the best teachers that this area has to offer um but it never really took hold there wasn't there wasn't anything to it until it finally did take hold and i realized that exactly what this says that that this is this is the means to overcome the world this is the key um and you were saying before about how it can come across like a fable, like a fairy tale sometimes. I think um, to speak to the modern climate, I think that um, is a very good summation of kind of how it's taught. A lot of times in a lot of churches, a lot of Sunday schools, that kind of thing, like it's packaged up and presented in the same kind of way that Humpty Dumpty would be packaged up and presented to kids and that kind of thing. And I have to believe that Satan is behind all of that. Satan is behind this mass uh, anywhere from rejection to um, neglect of the Bible and the blood and what we are told about the blood sacrifice of Jesus, the perfect sacrifice. Because without that, you can still have religion. Without that, and I'm going to say something that might be a little controversial here. Without that, you can still, at least on paper, have Christianity. But you cannot have a relationship with God. 
you can have all the surface stuff, but inside it is just rags. And that's exactly what Satan wants us, where Satan wants us to be. Yeah, I think, and I'm going to phrase it in this weird paradoxical way. I think we have to be comfortable with the uncomfortable. Yeah, for sure. Um, Hollywood is very big for this. They, they sanitize the sacrifice of Jesus until the Passion of the Christ came out. And then there was an uproar. It's too gory. It's terrible. Ah, da, da. Right. You know, violent. And, you know, that's not the way it should be. Uh, you know, it, it, it really let people know what Jesus sacrificed for them. Um, it was really very bold and in your face and gruesome. It wasn't the, um, I don't want to sound so sacrilegious. It wasn't the two band-aid cuts that you see in a lot of the films where he has a little line and everything. This was really gouging of the whips, um, the, the three inch nails or whatever however long they were and i say three inch because it's on the top of my head it might not have been that but the gushing of blood that would come out with because of them because they were actually thick metal nails they were not staples um so when we think of jesus uh, of bloody jesus dying for us it can be an uncomfortable thing, but this is what he did for us. Uh, to your point, this is one of the areas where even if you're not exploring it for strictly apologetic reasons, even if you're not searching and all of the, you can have all of the confidence, you can have all of the faith, cool. I still think it's powerful to really flush out what happened that day on the cross what actually happened at that event in time you can have faith and that's wonderful that you have faith but that will bring a different kind of dimension and i almost wonder if in my brain that's part of where the cement came of like you know yes i had heard all of this stuff before previously and then i finally actually hear the gospel and it softens my heart and i have this come to jesus moment but then all of that is followed up with months of research months of scouring and looking into and all of those kinds of things and when i i this is where i started was validating the resurrection Right? Because if the resurrection is true, a whole lot of other things can possibly be true within the Bible. The, the other half of that, the wonderful good news of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, the other half of that is a man was beaten beyond recognition, hung on a cross, and died. Imagining that imagery, understanding the physical sacrifice, you realize what was sacrificed for you, for each one of us. This is this is the painful truth of, of this. And this is a thought that's just coming out of what you're saying. I had a different thought before while you were speaking, and I really had a, a, a chill at one point. The sacrifice that the Lord has done. It's it's two things that can occur. Either the Lord can the Lord sacrifice, because he's already done it, or we 
become the sacrifice. We die for our sins. And what he went through is going to be equal to, or we're going to go through worse for our own payment. And we know that the Bible talks about hell and then the what happens to the people who die in sin. The Lord's sacrifice is very key. If if we were to journal, and this is not for maybe not for everyone, but I would say it should be that we should come close to to the point where our mind can touch the the stickiness of the Lord's blood, and 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 touch the scarred skin. Uh, if we were to journal this, His sacrifice for us, how would that change us? Now that we understand that it's not this kind of abstract, two-dimensional, kind of like artful um, PG version of his sacrifice, but the actual nitty-gritty, um, I'm not sure what phrasings can be there, gory way he sacrificed himself. There's a... There's a, a I'm not sure if it's Jewish tradition, but it's it would be a Jewish Christian tradition, um, sort of like with the Passover, the matzah, is that this one guy who was teaching us said that the scars that Jesus had meant that there were no, I want to say, pieces of skin that remained where you could rest two fingers side by side. That's how badly he was beaten. And we know that the lashings were multiple whip-like um, whips. I'm not sure how to describe it, but some people call them cat of nine tails. Might have been more, but there were multiple lashes, multiple lashes on, on, a, on one of these whips. So it wasn't just one whip. It was a bunch of them. So to imagine that that kind of thing happened to our Lord. And if we're writing it or we're sitting down and actually imagining what he went through, what what does that breed in us? I would think reverence and um, sadness of what's that when you not empathy, but it's when you realize that he took your place. Um, that emotional response, and I can't think of the word, it escapes me. But here we have the Lord saying, I will do this for you. My love is that great for you that I am willing to be beaten for you. That's how powerful God's rescue is. And that he does it for everyone on the planet, regardless of what side of the spectrum they are as far as good is concerned and we know that we tend to think good in abstract subjective ways but there's not anyone good enough that would not need that sacrifice um i do want to go on to the the second one and by their testimony so what does that mean by their testimony if i asked you joe what do you think by their testimony means uh, the profession of their faith, the profession of the name of Jesus, especially plugging it into the end times um, context, that that really starts to pop out. But even in the the day to day of it all, there's always new ways for us to 
become distracted, to become discouraged, to become fearful, to succumb to the pressures of the world. It's why there's uh, a constant nature and a repeat nature to dying to ourselves. Yeah. And I'm going to take this in a different way, but you're a marketing guy, so you understand the power of testimonials mm -hmm. and everything. And it's basically somebody saying about a product, what it's done for them. Um, and sometimes it could be a negative review and it could be a positive review, but the testimony has always carried weight. Sometimes it carries legal weight. We, you know, have the word testify. We have somebody who will come and give uh, testimony before court. So this is your personal discussion of what happened or what occurred. So by the power of their testimony. So this requires a change for life to be powerful. This requires somebody who's pursuing the Lord. We can think of many great people throughout history who have pursued the Lord. And I don't know if, Joe, if you see this a lot, but we talk more about what divides us and what unites us sometimes. And I feel like, you know, this person here is a foot. Why can't you leave the person as a foot? Why do you have to make them a hand? Why do they have to be like you, be like your denomination or fit into a way you think? And um, if they are being the foot that they're supposed to be, um, and I'm not talking about wrong theology. I'm talking about people who lean more one way than another, who, who, who are on the smaller things, uh, a difference of opinion. It makes me think of what Jesus really wanted to see. He wanted to see unity. And that's what John 17 was about, that the, we would be united as the Lord and the Father are one, that we, the body, would be one. That's a hard place to get to uh, for the current community of believers. One of the key things of our testimony is how we love each other. And the world will know we are Christians by our love for one another. Do we see that promoted through Christendom? Do we see that through our local body? You know, I always like it when the people would say, well, how many churches are there in the world? And, you know, some people may say, you know, a million or two million, a billion. Or, and then the answer comes back, one church. One church. That, to me, is always a provocative question or answer, uh, more answer, than, than we give credit for. What would God's church be able to accomplish in unity? And they love not their lives even unto death. So here we have, and this is the way it came out of my reflection. And it's not about dying so much as, what am I surrendering for the Lord? Am I surrendering for the Lord? What am I surrendering to the Lord at this point? That's what I'm trying to, uh, to say. Am I surrendering or am I have I comfortably built, without realizing it, a kingdom? Something that says, I have this here and I have that there and everything's where I like it and I don't want anything disturbed. You know, have I loved my life to a point where I don't want that to die? And that's a, a difficult question to answer when you 
start to delve into it. Um, I don't know if you've had those situations where you examine um, what 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 your life is like at that moment. What what are you are you investing your time in, Joe, or not? But this has been a big question that came out of this time of reflection. What am I doing with certain things? Sadly to say, things are very busy and consuming and these are good things. Well, these are things that need to be done like work and more work and even more work um, and things that demand attention. And I feel the pull sometimes to just not think on anything, reflect on the Lord and just be there in his presence. Um, but my mind gets too busy about the next thing to be done. And I have to fight to quiet myself. Testimonies are more than just um, words. They're actions. They're more than just actions. They're words. That's why I don't think either person who discredits the other one is right. There's people that say, no, you just got to live it out. You know, use more actions and less words to show people that you're a Christian. Other people are like, no, all you can do is preach. Mm, you can do both. God gave us language for a reason. And we are called to act in a way that translates to other people, that transmits to other people. The way I read it, is that in the way that I've seen it is that when you are in contact with somebody who is living in communion with God, somebody that is, I'm going to say tapped in, but somebody who is living in the spirit, um, that translates to that you will feel that. There is something palpable about that. We talked going through this whole illustration should give you a movement in your spirit. You know, even if it doesn't make you quote unquote emotional, it, it should move something inside of you and stir something inside of you when you realize how serious all of this is. And when you experience it, when you experience the blood of the lamb, that is transformational. We know this, right? I've said this multiple times and I'll say again, I do not believe for one second that humans are capable of actual sustained change. I think humans are humans. And I think if left to our own devices, it, we, it turns into some darkest timeline stuff. And I think that that's something that has been proven by humanity over and over and over again. And so coming into contact with this, is so transformational that when you live this out to somebody who has not come in contact with it, they're just coming in contact with you, it still translates. That's how powerful that we're talking here. So the full, all of these things, they go together. You can't cherry pick any of these topics out from each other. We have the sacrifice. That sacrifice is transformational. And we are called to live that out, to speak that out. You know, yes, there may be a time in the end of days where all of this is a lot more literal, maybe. It might be a good word. But even to today, all of these things are still 
everything that we're called to live by. This is one of those times where you may reflect on, on a portion of scripture that is different than what the context is sharing and be able to gain a nugget or truth or challenge or opportunity to really just speak with the Lord. Um, so my prayer and hope is that you're encouraged to pick up your Bibles and just read, 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 read for conversation with the Lord, um, as well as information and transformation. Father God, I thank you for this opportunity to be in your presence and to really come before you, Father. I thank you for each person who's listening, that you would fill their ears with your instruction, your good news, your, your intimacy, Father. They would be drawn to you, that they'd be able to enjoy their relationship with you, Father, that they'd see the reality of all that you've done for them that you adore them, that you love them, Father, and you continually call them into deeper relationship with you. I thank you for each and every one. In Jesus' name, amen.